1: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with licensed professional counselor Debbie Tudor about adult children of narcissists, and she answers the top five questions she's asked by her clients, including the age-old question, am I a narcissist too? Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A. I am Brandon Chadwick, and this is a podcast that interviews mental health professionals, lawyers, researchers, and authors about narcissistic and domestic abuse. And before we get into our episode, let me state that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do not substitute this show for medical advice. If you are struggling, please do reach out to your current professional or please do call your local domestic abuse agency. Speaking of professionals, we just started our own directory of mental health professionals at abusetherapy.org. So if you're looking for someone to talk to, please do go there to find someone. Using one of the professionals on our directory helps support the show. We'll be adding as many diverse professionals as we can over the coming weeks. So if you're a professional looking to be part of our directory, please do email me at directory@abusetherapy.org. At Also attached to the directory is a community forum where you can ask general questions about narcissistic and domestic abuse, but only the professionals on the directory like Debbie Tudor will be able to answer. So hopefully you all take advantage of that as well. And before I get out of my way and your way and start the show. Thank you to everyone who came by our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com and filled out an application form to be a guest on our sister podcast, Narcissist Apocalypse Survivor Stories. If you haven't received an email from me, please do check your junk email. And that is it. It is now time for the show. Here is my interview with Debbie Tudor. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A. With me today, I have Debbie Tudor. She's returning with us today. She's a licensed professional counselor and supervisor. She's 24 years in practice. She is WeBGB certified, meaning she is certified by the Will I Ever Be Good Enough Association, created by Dr. Carol McBride, who wrote the preeminent book of the same name. She is a daughter of a narcissistic mother as well. And Debbie has also written a workbook called It's Not You, It's Them, 30 Days of Hope and Help for the Adult Child of a Narcissistic Parent. It is a workbook that offers concise, practical insights, journaling exercises to give help and hope to those suffering from the effects of or currently dealing with or having been raised by a narcissist. Thank you very much, for being here today, Debbie.
0: Thank you, it's great to be here.
1: And I would also like to point out that Debbie is an all remote therapist in Texas and a life coach worldwide. And she can be reached at rockwall counseling.com. And her email is info at rockwall counseling.com. I'll have all that information in the description of the show after it is done on whatever service you use. You'll be able to see it there in the description. And today we are going to talk about the top five questions that you are asked by children of narcissists. So let's just get into the show. Top five questions I'm asked by children of narcissists. And the first question is this. Are you ready? Here it goes. Am I a narcissist too? You're
0: not probably a narcissist if you are asking me that question. Now, everyone has a trait or two. Narcissism is a spectrum, which is why we're very, very careful not to diagnose other people. A licensed therapist cannot diagnose someone that they have not interviewed, so I never tell somebody, yes, it's 100%, your parent is a narcissist, but there are characteristics on the spectrum. A person can be a little bit narcissistic or a whole lot narcissistic, and, and there are questions that we use to try to nail it down, but because it's a spectrum, you're going to have a trait or two. Everybody does, but not to the severity level that your parent had if they've caused you so much pain. You are coming for help, so I tell people that ask me this question, no, you're not. You may have a trait or two of human characteristics that are not positive, so what, but don't focus on that in yourself. Focus on your good points because as a scapegoat, you've been trained to think you don't have any. So I, as a matter of fact, I've developed a card deck called One Minute Sessions to help people recovering from abuse focus on their good points because it's important that you start to see that in yourself.
1: Do you give people a list where they can actually look down so they can identify those things because maybe they can't put um, those positive things to themselves.
0: Well, it's um, it's more the the cards are more things like um, I care deeply about others, and because that's true of all scapegoats. And then some of them are affirmations. I live by my own inner light is one of them. Um, another problem that uh, scapegoats has is we tend to get very codependent. We try so hard to make everybody happy that we get caught up in fixing other people's lives. So one of the cards says, I row my own boat and focus on my own life. So things like that help a scapegoat recover and use their characteristics for the good.
1: So... We have question number two on our top five questions I'm asked by children of narcissists. Question two, can a narcissist change?
0: They, um, they are fluent in the language of manipulation. So they will give you apologies when they think they pushed too far. And those are designed to lure you back in, to regain your trust, to put yourself back out there to be used again. But when you do that, when you go back in, it teaches them that you're a willing victim. It doesn't teach them that they should change. So that gets into a whole thing of forgiveness, and that's a very loaded word in in my profession. Um, But basically, the first time the dog bites you, it's the dog's fault. That's a West Texas saying that we have around here, and what that means is they're going to pretend to change and they're going to try to lure you in. But when you do that, you're just going back in for more hurt. So, no, I would have to say, and I do say many times that you should not hold your breath and expect a narcissist to change. They will appear to change. They will appear sometimes to even say they're going to make a therapy appointment. But, I've never seen a follow-through on that one. go. Or if they do, they just go to tell the therapist how wrong the other person is, how wrong you are, and get the therapist on their side, so to speak.
1: So I have two questions about this question and what you said. Mm -hmm. Um, If someone is a narcissist and does change, what type of life-altering event would have to occur in your mind for that to happen?
0: It's They're lacking something that even trauma will not give them. And the first thing I think of when you say that is if losing your own child, if them going no contact is not enough pain to make you wake up and realize it's you, then I don't think there is anything.
1: That's really interesting.
0: Um, It's kind of like this. If a person has, um, I don't know, autism, then there's not going to be a trauma that is going to change them from that that is something they are always going to have if a person has this basic deep personality disorder of narcissism and we're talking extremes here if we're talking bad enough to have alienated their child then there's there's no way that they're going to wake up and suddenly have normal empathy uh, normal personality. So I wouldn't think there is anything that could do that.
1: And my second question on this is the term forgive and forget. What do you think about that specific term?
0: That's a very unfortunate term. And I don't know where it came from, but it's not biblical that I can see in any of my research. Um, Forgive and forget is exactly what you do not want to do in this case. I can forgive a snake. I can look at that snake across there and wish it well. I can even throw it a blanket if I think it's cold. But to pick that snake back up and let it bite me one more time is not forgiveness, it's foolishness. Forgive means you no longer have space in my head. And I have an interesting story on that myself. When I was going to write my workbook, um, I had the idea in my head that I wanted to do it. I knew that the recovery I had made from my own experience as a a daughter was significant and that people could be helped by this. But I couldn't get started on the book. And something kept putting it off, and I am not a procrastinator. I am a get-it-done-yesterday person in general. And finally, I was working with my therapist on my mother, and she said, you have to forgive. She said, we've talked about this long enough. It's time for you to forgive. And I said, I can't forgive that. She said, forgive does not mean that you forget. Forgive means that you say you will no longer have space in my head. I'm moving on. And it was like a light bulb went on. And when I wrote out that in my journal, The book just flowed, and I wrote the entire thing within a month. So forgive, yes, as far as you will no longer get space in my head, but forget, never. No, it's just not smart.
1: And as far as creating uh, space in your head and having that leave your head, uh, what were some of the processes or uh, exercises that you used to help you?
0: Uh, that is how the book came about. I would write down things that my clients would say to me, and then I would work them myself. Um, the I one 2 question is one that I ask myself many times and would have to work that through, Write the affirmations about that. And then um, the fact that a lot of scapegoats feel guilty for having dreams and plans that are different from what their parents wanted them to do. And writing about that, journaling is huge. And in my workbook, I use a lot of different journaling techniques. There's non-dominant hand journaling. There's writing writing letters to the person and so on that are explained better in the book. But those techniques, along with regular therapy and then reading, everything I could find really set me free.
1: One exercise that I did once was, you know, you, you trying to make space for yourself. And I used a ceremony one day where I built a little boat out of, uh, kind of like a paper mache boat. And mm-hmm. then I wrote all of the feelings that, um, my, uh, situation, uh, brought up, and I put all of those feelings that I wrote down. I wrote them on little pieces of paper, and then I put them in that boat. Uh, well, not uh, at that specific moment, but I went to a river with my friend, and my friend did it as mm-hmm. well. And we put our boats uh, on shore. We wrote everything out. We put them inside the boat, and then we put our boats on the water, and we then watched our boats with all of the attached emotions that we were ready to finally leave behind. And, you know, we thought about everything and the whole process of, of what happened first. And, you know, we feel that we dealt with everything. And then we watched those boats just go down the river until we could not see them anymore. And when they were done, we felt that we were done with, um, you know, our childhood and things that we were dealing with so that's a
0: wonderful idea
1: it, it was it was a nice you know it, we made a an event of it and we made a ceremony and we made you know, a memory of it in a positive memory um you know outdoors in nature and it was really um something so um that's what i did that's what i did um So, next question on our top five questions I'm asked by children of narcissists, number three, and this is a real interesting one: Should I keep track of what the narcissist is saying me, uh, saying about me, on social media, Facebook, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera?
0: Yeah, I get this one a lot. A lot of people have suffered so much pain by going back into the relationship again and again and again that they're ready to go no contact. Now, no contact is a very personal decision, and I never tell one of my patients what to do. It's something that each person has to decide for themselves. But when a person has been brave enough to go no contact, the way that they sabotage it is social media, and you can completely undo the benefits of no contact. You can be healing and moving forward and getting ready to live your life free of everything, And then you get on Facebook and you see what they're saying about you. I had one client once who gave me permission to share uh, his story in my book who went no contact, was doing great, um, and then made the mistake of looking at his father's social media page and his father was bragging about how he had replaced his son with another young man who he now considered his real son. Broke my client's heart, setting back for oh, months of recovery. So social media keeps you stuck in pain. And Facebook and relatives are the two ways that no contact is sabotaged the most. So consider unfollowing mutual friends on Facebook or Instagram that are also Mutual friends of your uh, narcissistic parent. And then don't be afraid to ask your trusted family members just not to bring the narcissist up to you. And then I have um, a system called protected contact where you choose someone such as your spouse or a good friend or a trusted family member who. If you do feel like you just have to know what's going on with a parent, use your protector as a filter and a shield. Now some parents are elderly or they're disabled or both, and a lot of adult children of narcissists feel guilty that they're not taking care of that person and they use their protector to find out the basics. Are they okay? Um, are they in the hospital, things like that. And if they feel like they have to know what's going on with the parent for emergencies, then they use their protector to filter that. But other than that, just following your narcissist or their friends on Facebook is a recipe for undoing your progress.
1: So in my own personal experience, you know, I... I'm not really that – I'm on social media now for the podcast and for our website and things along those lines, but I have had accounts before. And my biggest issue was uh, when it does the friend recommendations – for you and I'm like how do, how does this person show up in my friend recommendations and they're not this they're not the person I have a problem with it's still the friends of the friends uh, that still um, just seeing their faces it brings you it brings you back and I even emailed because there was no I was like there's no way possible that this algorithm should know that I am associated with these people in any way because this specific account only has one friend. I'm like, how did this happen? I emailed uh, Facebook and I said, I'm trying to disable this actual feature because this has to be triggering for so many People, even if you think you've gotten rid of everyone, just someone's face showing up in the will uh, recommended friends section or things along those lines. I I, I I get angry every day when I'm like, ah, oh, I'm seeing this face. No, not today, not today. Like, I don't want this in my mind. And then all of a sudden, Facebook pop. Like, that's the problem with it. It shows you things that you know you don't want to see, and. They obviously want you to make more connections, but they they don't understand the repercussions of the triggers of a lot of the things that uh, th- pop up on their system. So, in the future, exactly. I hope that I, I really in the future I really hope that they take that into consideration, um, the psychological effects uh, that it has on a lot of people, because you know for. You know, the 75% that enjoy it, there is a 25% that are constantly getting triggered on there. And I'm sure Mother's mm-hmm. Day and Father's Day, you, you just oh, yes. you should just not go on Facebook.
0: Well, one thing that happens, too, with narcissistic parents, particularly narcissistic mothers, is if you go no contact, they will go underground and they will friend all your friends. And your friends don't know. I mean, if you haven't told them, don't friend my mother, they'll like, oh, you know, that's sweet. I'll friend her. And then that's how they see your comments, and that's how you see theirs, because they're commenting on your friends' pages. It's very common for a narcissistic mother to feel jealous of her daughter's youth. No matter the age of her daughter, she's younger than the narcissist, so she will friend her daughter's friends on Facebook to try to look hip and see your friends love me, that kind of thing. And so all of that's triggering, and it gets very complicated. And I know there's algorithms with Facebook where you can block even seeing your mother's con- your comments on your friends' pages. I know there's ways to do that. And I always assign people to go do the research and figure it out. So social media can be really triggering.
1: I'm actually going to go research all of that, and I'm going to put it on my website for people that are having those issues because I think everyone needs to know. I'm going to make a a post about it. It's a really important post to have.
0: I've lost my golden child brother because his comments are so rude and awful, but he can still see my comments on our mutual friends. Mm. And it's very confusing. So, yes, please figure that out for the rest uh, uh, of us. I, I'm going
1: to go figure that out. That's a useful thing for everyone to learn. I'm going to go figure that out. Yes, it is. So, next question on our top five questions. I'm asked by children of narcissists. Number four, can I be happy without my narcissistic parent in my life?
0: I always tell my patients when they ask me this, is that this fact. Blood does not make family. We are taught that it does, but it does not. You can choose family by choosing friends or maybe family members that you trust who have love, respect, and a willingness to change hurtful behaviors. That's what makes family. So absolutely, yes, you can be without happy without them. Sometimes I encourage people to handle the mutual family of their narcissistic mother or father like you would handle a divorce. You have separate holidays with your sister. You have um, holidays just with your loved ones that you're thankful for at Thanksgiving and those can be friends and maybe family that does not side with or is not a flying monkey for the narcissist. So yes, it's very important to, um, to build your own family. Now, the reason that so many people ask me this question is because when we're born, we know instinctively and we have a built-in survival instinct that our parents are the only way we're going to live. If they don't feed us, if they throw us against the wall, we're not going to survive. So our survival instinct says you can't live without these people. And that's healthy for a child that's That's how you grow up. It's like ducks following their mother duck around the ducklings' imprint on her and follow her around because she's their survival so we We have an instinct inside of us an instinctual belief that we must have these parents to be happy. but we're adults now, and our survival does not depend on these people. As a matter of fact, our happiness probably depends on getting away from these people. So we have to soothe that inner child that says, no, 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 you that's your parents. You have to be around them. We have to tune out society that has a huge investment in playing happy families. And we have to tune into maybe our in-laws who love us, Um Maybe the family members who get it. I have an aunt who understands and is trustworthy, and she's my family. And then close friends. And those are the people who will help you be happy for connection.
1: And when it comes to people that are still into con- in contact with their parents and they – I guess in their mind say to themselves being with my parents or still being in contact with my parents I know isn't making me happy but I'm still going to do it anyway what do you say to them and um how would you go about that? Because I would assume most of them are doing it out of guilt, but at the same time, they at least, and maybe in their mind, as you know, their their parent gets older, that they can say to themselves, you know, I did the best I I, I could, and I, I stuck it out even though I shouldn't have. Um, what what kind of advice kind of do you give to them, um, the ones the ones who kind of stick it out even though it does make them miserable?
0: I think, as I said before, that that the hallmark of my work with narcissistic victims is that everyone has to make this decision for themselves. And it's not right for everyone to go completely no contact. It's not right for everyone to go just protected. Everyone has to make this for themselves. But in the case of disabled elderly parents, I help people find a middle ground. Um, You may be able to take care of them from a distance. I used the uh, metaphor of throwing the blanket on the snake when it's cold, but throwing it from a distance. And you can do that. You can sign up for a meal service to send them meals at their house if you're worried they're not eating. You can hire a driver to take them to the doctor that's something that I did that worked out really well, until my mother got mad at him and fired him. Like she fired everybody, <laughs> but for a while it worked out pretty well. Um, you can take over the bill paying if they're cognitively not cognitively not able to go on taking care of themselves. You can call the social worker and arrange the nursing home if they're at the point where they need that. Um, I mailed my mother a panic alert button. And that went straight to the um, local paramedics. So there are ways that you can fulfill your good daughter, good son guilt without sitting there. I always say, nowhere in the Bible or in any other spiritual reading does it say, thou shalt sit there and listen to them scream at you while you pat their hand. There's nothing that requires us to take abuse. and. That's what being around them is like. So there are plenty of ways to fulfill your guilt without having to put yourself in the line of fire. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech.
1: And the last question before we get to our audience questions and our top five questions I'm asked by children of narcissists, number five do I have to forgive them?
0: So we talked about that a little bit, but I want to point out that um, if if you don't get some closure, some distance, then you're really just giving them supply from a distance. because what I've noticed, I've spoken to support groups all over. Uh, the United States about this kind of thing, and what I've noticed is a lot of people who are not healed are obsessed with the why about the narcissist. Why are they this way? Why do they treat me like this? What? How can they change? If you're not forgiving somebody, then you're focused on them, and you're giving them your mental energy. You're giving them mental supply. You're giving them attention, and they may not know it, But it's still having the same effect in your mind as if you're around them all the time. So forgiving them means I don't forgive what you did. I don't condone your behavior. I will not put myself in the place to be abused again and again and again. But I forgive you because I'm tired. I'm tired of carrying you. I'm tired of focusing on this. I want to have a life without you. So it's a leaving of this person in your mind. Now, I don't use the word forgive in my therapy because it's a very emotionally loaded word and people misunderstand it. So to use the word forgive is not me saying that they oh, you know, I understand what you did, and and you had a bad childhood, and stuff like that. Scapegoats are addicted to trying to study narcissism and figure out why their parent is the way they are. But that's not what forgiveness is. It's also not a feeling of warmth or love. It's not a feeling at all. It's not opening yourself up to be a target again and again and again. Forgiveness is saying, I set you free. I set me free. This will no longer be the focus of my life. I will, I tell people if you want to Google and research about anything, Google and research about recovering as a scapegoat. Google and research about recovering from abuse. Don't Google and research narcissism. That's not going to help you at all. So forgive means I set you free. I live my life. I take care of me. I work on my recovery.
1: In the mantra of, I will no longer have this be the focus of my life.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: It's yeah. A good, that's a really good mantra to just repeat and uh, you know just sit with maybe like uh, a whole uh-huh. day and just kind of repeat that um, throughout the whole entire day. I will no longer have this be the focus of my life. It, it's, it, it's concise and powerful.
0: Because um, because <laughs> I've written a lot of affirmations, I'm going to tweak your mantra just a little bit okay, here. If we're go going to make it. it an affirmation, it's going to be, I now become the focus of my own life. Any kind of affirmation you say to yourself with a negative in it, like no longer, the brain does not process negative. It hears, I focus on you. So if you say, I no longer focus on you, the brain hears, I focus you. So we always want to do affirmations in the positive. So the affirmation would be, I focus on my life. I make myself healthy. I set myself free.
1: I'm, I'm writing all this down, and you're, you are the second person to, to tell me this, that this weekend. I forgot the first one because I was making T-shirts. I was trying to make positive T-shirts, and I had one, of them and the person who I had to look over them said, no, 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 there is a negative in there. Remove that. And they oh, told okay. me the exact explanation as you did, and obviously I don't listen very well. Um, so <laughs> I, I will focus on my life.
0: Yes.
1: All right. Thank you. And now we are on to audience questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. And the first audience question is, I grew up in a dysfunctional home and was subservient to my parents. I've now gone no contact and I'm having a very difficult time. I don't even know what I want in life and I feel like I don't know the real me. Where do I even begin?
0: Um, I always want to put a professional disclaimer out there before I answer any of these. Um, People, dear listeners, please keep in mind that I don't know you. I don't know your whole story. I don't know your mental state. So I am just kind of, Throwing some ideas out here that may or may not work for you and may or may not be the healthiest thing for you. But in this particular case, I would just make general suggestions. Um, My journal is my best friend. My journal and I visit every day. Sit down and, and dump your brain out. Dump the questions out on paper like, where do I begin? Who is the real me? What do I want in life? Just start dumping those questions out on paper, and just start writing. You'll be surprised if you don't censor yourself when you journal. What you will learn about yourself. The other thing I would recommend, of course, is professional therapy. Um, it's like you can't. You could can read self-help books, and you can listen to podcasts. But you can't do your own brain surgery. <laughs> you have to have a professional to guide you in that. And it would be useful to get one who understands children of narcissists. The third thing I would recommend is that you question everything that you have been taught. There may be some things your narcissist said that you want to keep. There may be some things they said that you're like, no, that's not me and that's not true and I reject that. So questioning everything in your life. My book was designed to help people find who they are versus who the narcissist told them they should be, because you will never live up to what your narcissistic parent said you should be. So workbooks, reading books, journaling, and most importantly, therapy, when you're trying to to grow and change.
1: Uh, And a side question that I have, Um, Uh in your mind uh, or in your experience, what percentage of children of narcissists have no identity, that they have complete identity crisis as a whole and don't even know what even interests them, like they don't even know what hobbies they even like?
0: That is extremely common. When I first, 30-something years ago, went to a therapist with this, And he said, you've got to learn to have fun. And I just looked at him like, what are you talking about? I'm a mother with two children. Uh, I have a job. How am I going to have fun? He said, well, what do you like to do? And I said, I don't know. I have no idea. And he said, well, what did you like to do when you were little? And I thought about it and I said, dancing. And he said, take a dance class. And I did, and it was revolutionary. And it was quite a step for me forward to learning who I am and what I enjoy, so going back to your childhood experiences and thinking about what you enjoyed can be a way to start remembering who you really are underneath
1: and When you took that dance class, was it uh, a form of expression for you that you never had before absolutely. and what kind of dance absolutely. was it
0: absolutely. <laughs> Oh, let's see. Well, this has been a few years, but, um, it was like, um, precursor to hip hop type stuff. Okay. Then there was also some, um, also some tango and stuff like that. It was an adult class, so we learned a little bit of everything. But it was wonderful. It, it reminded me, it reconnected me to what I loved. Another thing I strongly suggest when you're trying to get to know yourself is yoga. Um, Yoga requires such intense concentration that it frees you from your preconceptions about yourself. All you're focused on is holding the pose, and that can be very healing too.
1: So our next question, audience questions. Why does my mother never approve of me for just being myself? What is the psychology behind that?
0: Well, a narcissistic mother in particular, and this is true of fathers and sons, but I hear it more because more women come to therapy. Um, A narcissistic mother has this going on for you. Your job is to make her look good, but don't ever outdo her. So she would never you for being herself because you are a threat. Now, remember all the ways that you are a threat to your mother. And this is bizarre, okay, but this is a narcissist way of thinking. When I tell my patients this, they say, but I would never want my daughter to not do as well as I do. That's because you're not a narcissist, okay? But a narcissistic mother says, shine so I look good, but don't shine so much that you look better than me. So you're on a tightrope of never being able to do enough. So they don't approve of you for being yourself because their fragile narcissistic ego sees you as competition. In my book, it's not you, it's them. Thirty days of hope and help for the adult child of a narcissistic parent. I have an exercise on this where um, I have a poem that I wrote in there about how my mother wore me like a piece of jewelry, and. My job was to be quietly by her side and to make her look good, but never to outshine her. So when your narc mother sees you succeeding, she's going to find ways to disapprove of you and pull you down. Um, You might get discouraged from going to college. You might get discouraged from losing weight. You might get discouraged from making more friends than she has, or singing if she likes to sing in public. But the psychology is the fragile ego. And while it seems bizarre for those of us who are mothers and fathers ourselves to think that we would be jealous of our child's success, that is the persona. You see it for men. You see it in so many fathers who push their boys into succeeding at sports at the expense of the child's mental health. They scream at them, they yell at them, you have to do better, you have to do better, you have to make me look good. And that's the narcissism at work.
1: And our next question is, a lot of the times when I get into arguments with my parents, I'm told that I'm too sensitive or the other person will try to make me feel like what I'm feeling is wrong. Like maybe I'm crazy. I've never been able to tell if it's a problem with me or maybe I have a right to feel the way that I do. How do you know if you're being too sensitive or if my parents are manipulating my feelings?
0: Well, first of all, too sensitive is a judgment call, and I don't think it means anything. If something has bothered you or hurt you, then you have the right to bring it up. But being told that you're too sensitive is the number one statement that a narcissist uses against their victim. And it's part of a whole communication manipulation scenario that is called gaslighting. Gaslighting um, is where the narcissist tries to make you think that you're crazy when they do crazy things. You're crazy for being hurt by them or questioning them. Uh, the term gaslighting comes from a 1940s movie called Gaslight, where a uh, man wanted to put his wife in an institution, so he would secretly flicker the gaslighting in the house, and when she would say, are the lights flickering? He'd say, no, you're crazy. What are you talking about? So it's very important that a narcissist control you by making you think you're the problem. So they yell and they scream or they say cutting things and if you speak up to that they say what? You're crazy. You're too sensitive. I didn't mean that. What are you talking about? And that is a very, very common scenario. So if you're questioning yourself, how would you know if you're being too sensitive? Think of it this way. If your child came to you or your best friend came to you and said what you just said to your parents, would you think they were too sensitive or would you say, oh, I'm so sorry, let's work that through? And once you put in in the role of somebody coming to you and you being the loving parent rather than an arch parent, it becomes clear pretty quickly. That the North parent is out of line and that you're being gaslighted.
1: That was a great answer. Um, Thank you. I never looked at it in that turn, that in a way when they say, when sometimes I say, um, uh, when you when it comes to your inner critic in yourself, when people say, if this was your child, would you speak to your child that way? And then you answer, mm-hmm. no, I wouldn't. In in this instance, that's pretty much taking the exact same theory and and moving it into. Um, into the realm of narcissistic parents and their children. It's just a great answer, so thank Mm -hmm. you. And the, the next question, I've never been allowed to be angry, and now that I'm older, it's a huge disaster. How do I process anger without looking and sounding like a crazy person?
0: The first thing you need to do is to allow your feelings. Now, people don't understand this, but there's a difference in how I feel and how I behave. And that sounds fundamentally obvious, but it's not. To say to yourself, wow, I really feel angry right now, but to not explode with that, to find other ways to express it, either by writing an angry letter to the person that you're mad at that you're going to tear up the letter and throw away, or to... Pound a pillow or to find another way to release anger. The root of all anger is fear. So when you're angry at someone, it's very likely that you're scared about something. Either you're going to lose something or someone's going to take advantage of you. But basically, look for the fear underneath the anger. Just practically, um, anger can destroy your career, can destroy your relationships. And I strongly recommend not just therapy for that, but anger management classes. There are great courses online. Just Google anger management. Um, A lot of court systems require these, and so I'm familiar with them for clients who have had to go through them. But they're good stuff. There's a lot of good information online if you get somebody qualified who's written an anger management course. But just remember that feelings are not actions. And it's okay to feel angry. Try to search underneath the anger for the fear. What am I scared of right now? And a lot of times that will bring it down or even knock it out altogether when you just let yourself feel afraid.
1: And our next question. I had been no contact with my narcissistic mother, and she recently passed away. I thought I had moved on, but the grief I am feeling was not expected. Why am I crying for someone that treated me so poorly? It seems like I still loved her even though she was out of my life. I'm just so confused and torn. Any advice or support is appreciated.
0: In my book, um, Day 23 is called Grieving What Can Never Be. To this dear person who has written this, um, you're not grieving your mother. You are grieving the mother you never had. You are not grieving Jane Smith, my biological mother. You are grieving I didn't have a loving mother. And that's why this is so hard. Um, We have a saying in um, clinical work that your work with your mother begins when they die. And the reason for that is because it's over forever. There is not a chance in the world that your fantasy will come true, that they will call you up and say, I've been terrible to you. Can you forgive me? Now, that's not going to happen anyway, but the death of a parent feels that permanently, and that's what you're grieving. So realize that you are crying, first of all, for the finality, the sadness of the fact that this is forever the way it is. History cannot ever change because she's gone. And then you're also crying for the fact that you did not ever have and never will have the mother that you deserve, maybe the mother you are to your kids. And that's sad. There is a wonderful book um, called the emotionally absent mother. That will help you when you're grieving, as far as figuring out what it is you're you're longing for that you know you will never get. So I recommend that one.
1: Ooh, that was uh, that was hard to listen to. Just listening to the answer of that one because uh, it just yeah. is so terribly sad.
0: I had a client tell me the other day, she said, why doesn't everybody understand how sad it is to have to go no contact? Why doesn't everybody understand that I'm not doing this to make a point? I'm not doing this to cause a rift in the family. I'm doing this because I have to. She has made it unbearable. It is sad. It is sad to have to cut off a parent. And when they die, it's permanently sad.
1: And this last question, I don't know if we'll be able to answer this last question because of the nature of it but i it goes like this i've been out of my parents house for five years now but i have a much younger brother who is now 10 i've been very low contact with him but feel tons of guilt knowing my little brother is all alone i don't want him to hate me for leaving and i want to protect him i'm struggling do i put myself back in harm's way and start going over more and getting and get involved the guilt is too much
0: This is a very hard one, and believe it or not, I get this all the time. Um, What I tell people, first of all, the basics for any of us who are um, caring adults with a child, the first question is, is he safe? And if you are hearing about abuse that he's getting, if there are bruises, if there is neglect, if he's not getting fed, anything like that, then all of us have a moral and a legal duty, at least here in Texas, to report that to Child Protective Services. So I have no idea how bad this is, if this person is talking literal uh, abuse or neglect, or if they're just talking about them living with the people who were so awful to her. So the first question is, is he safe? And that's fundamental. And then if he is safe, um, see if you can contact him outside of them. Can you have lunch with him at school Um, as a relative? I mean, I don't know. Everybody's laws are different. But if you can, you might go visit him at school and be there for him there. And then also remember that he will grow fast, and soon he'll have his own cell phone, and you can have contacts that way. But the final thing to remember is we have to be sure we don't put the template of our own experience onto other people. He may not be having the childhood you had. The parents usually choose one child and take it out on them, the scapegoat. He, If you're the scapegoat, then he may not be getting the same horrible treatment that you got. His life may be okay. Um, A narcissistic parent, who is just self-centered, may not have any interest in him, which is sad, but at least he may not be getting the abuse that you got. So don't put the template of your life and assume that that he's going through the same thing you did. He may not be.
1: So if uh, the child is not going through the same thing, and let's say the parents are telling them, Terrible things about the actual scapegoat. For the scapegoat themselves, is it best for them to? Um I guess, live a life that is the opposite of what the parents are saying in the sense of proving those uh, words uh, wrong. So when you do contact your uh, sibling who is much younger than you, the person that you are showing and, and comes to the table is the opposite of what is being said. So they might not believe what their parents are saying about you.
0: That's a good point. That's a, that's a beautiful, beautiful point. If you live with as much love and care from a distance for this child as you can possibly find creative ways to give, then you're doing everything in your power to try to refute what's what may be being said about you.
1: So uh, I just want to thank you for being on the show and coming back and giving your insight. This was was wonderful. Uh, And before we leave, I just want to once again remind everyone where they can reach you, which is at rockwall-counseling.com. Your email is info at rockwall-counseling dot com. You can also find you on abusetherapy dot org, which is our own directory for professionals. Your your profile is on there. You can be found there as well. And as well, you do have a book called. Uh, Sorry, it it is called It's Not You, It's Them, 30 Days of Hope and Help for the Adult Child of a Narcissistic Parent. It's a workbook, and you can find that on your website, and you can purchase it from you, or you can find it on Amazon.com. And before we leave, do you have anything else you'd like to share?
0: Just that, if you're out there listening to this, and you're a scapegoat, you are not alone. I went through so many years of helping other people before I found this information about narcissistic parents. And it changed my life to have the freedom to understand and have a label about what was happening to me. And you can get that freedom too, and you can get that understanding. So be comforted in the fact that there are plenty of us out there who have gone through what you're going through and have come out the other side.
1: Well, thank you very much for being here today. And for everyone else out there listening, I hope you have a good night.